Chapter Eleven of Cyrus the Great by Jacob Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Conversations. We have given the story of Panthea as contained in the preceding chapter in our own language it is true but without any intentional addition or embellishment whatever each reader will judge for himself whether such a narrative written for the entertainment of vast assemblies at public games and celebrations is most properly to be regarded as an invention of romance or as a simple record of veritable history a great many extraordinary and dramatic incidents and adventures similar in general character to the story of panthea are interwoven with the narrative in xenophon's history there are also besides these many long and minute details of dialogues and conversations which if they had really occurred would have required a very high degree of skill in stenography to produce such reports of them as xenophon has given the incidents too out of which these conversations grew are worthy of attention as we can often judge by the nature and character of an incident described whether it is one which it is probable might actually occur in real life or only an invention intended to furnish an opportunity and a pretext for the inculcation of the sentiments or the expression of the views of the different speakers it was the custom in ancient days much more than it is now to attempt to add to the point and spirit of a discussion by presenting the various views which the subject naturally elicited in the form of a conversation arising out of circumstances invented to sustain it the incident in such cases was of course a fiction contrived to furnish points of attachment for the dialogue a sort of trellis constructed artificially to support the vine we shall present in this chapter some specimens of these conversations which will give the reader a much more distinct idea of the nature of them than any general description can convey at one time in the course of cyrus's career just after he had obtained some great victory he was celebrating his triumphs in the midst of his armies with spectacles and games he instituted a series of races in which the various nations that were represented in his army furnished their several champions as competitors the army marched out from the city which cyrus had captured and where he was then residing in a procession of the most imposing magnificence animals intended to be offered in sacrifice caparisoned in trappings of gold horsemen most sumptuously equipped chariots of war splendidly built and adorned and banners and trophies of every kind were conspicuous in the train when the vast procession reached the race-ground the immense concourse was formed in ranks around it 
and the racing went on when it came to the turn of the sacian nation to enter the course a private man of no apparent importance in respect to his rank or standing came forward as the champion though the man appeared insignificant his horse was as fleet as the wind he flew around the arena with astonishing speed and came in at the goal while his competitor was still midway of the course everybody was astonished at this performance cyrus asked the sacian whether he would be willing to sell that horse if he could receive a kingdom in exchange for it kingdoms being the coin with which such sovereigns as cyrus made their purchases the sacian replied that he would not sell his horse for any kingdom but that he would readily give him away to oblige a worthy man come with me said cyrus and i will show you where you may throw blindfold and not miss a worthy man so saying cyrus conducted the sacian to a part of the field where a number of his officers and attendants were moving to and fro mounted upon their horses or seated in their chariots of war the sacian took up a hard clog of earth from a bank as he walked along at length they were in the midst of the group throw said cyrus the sacian shut his eyes and threw it happened that just at that instant an officer named pharaulus was riding by he was conveying some orders which cyrus had given him to another part of the field pharaulus had been originally a man of humble life but he had been advanced by cyrus to a high position on account of the great fidelity and zeal which he had evinced in the performance of his duty the clod which the sacian threw struck pharaulus in the mouth and wounded him severely now it is the part of a good soldier to stand at his post or to press on in obedience to his orders as long as any physical capacity remains and pharaulus true to his military obligation rode on without even turning to see whence and from what cause so unexpected and violent an assault had proceeded the sacian opened his eyes looked around and coolly asked who it was that he had hit cyrus pointed to the horseman who was riding rapidly away saying that is the man who is riding so fast past those chariots yonder you hit him why did he not turn back then asked the sacian it is strange that he did not said cyrus he must be some madman the sacian went in pursuit of him he found pharaulus with his face covered with blood and dirt and asked him if he had received a blow i have said pharaulus as you see then said the sacian i make you a present of my horse pharaulus asked an explanation the sacian accordingly gave him an account of what had taken place between himself and cyrus and said in the end that he gladly gave him his horse as he pharaulus had so decisively proved himself 
to be a most worthy man Veralis accepted the present with many thanks and he and the sacian became thereafter very strong friends some time after this Feralis invited the sacian to an entertainment and when the hour arrived he set before his friend and the other guests a most sumptuous feast which was served in vessels of gold and silver and in an apartment furnished with carpets and canopies and couches of the most gorgeous and splendid description the sacian was much impressed with this magnificence and he asked Feralis whether he had been a rich man at home that is before he had joined cyrus's army Feralis replied that he was not then rich his father he said was a farmer and he himself had been accustomed in early life to till the ground with the other laborers on his father's farm all the wealth and luxury which he now enjoyed had been bestowed upon him he said by cyrus how fortunate you are said the sacian and it must be that you enjoy your present riches all the more highly on account of having experienced in early life the inconveniences and ills of poverty the pleasure must be more intense in having desires which have long been felt gratified at last if the objects which they rested upon had been always in one's possession you imagine i suppose replied Feralis, that i am a great deal happier in the consequence of all this wealth and splendor but it is not so as to the real enjoyments of which our natures are capable i cannot receive more now than i could before i cannot eat any more drink any more or sleep any more or do any of these things with any more pleasure than when i was poor all that i gain by this abundance is that i have more to watch more to guard more to take care of i have many servants for whose wants i have to provide and who are a constant source of solicitude to me one calls for food another for clothes a third is sick and i must see that he has a physician my other possessions too are a constant care a man comes in one day and brings me sheep that have been torn by the wolves and on another day tells me of oxen that have fallen from a precipice or of a distemper which has broken out among the flocks or herds my wealth therefore brings me only an increase of anxiety and trouble without any addition to my joys but those things said the sacian which you name must be unusual and extraordinary occurrences when all things are going on prosperously and well with you and you can look around on all your possessions and feel that they are yours then certainly you must be happier than i am it is true said Feralis, that there is a pleasure in the possession of wealth but that pleasure is not great enough to balance the suffering which the calamities and losses inevitably connected with it occasion that the suffering occasioned 
by losing our possessions is greater than the pleasure of retaining them is proved by the fact that the pain of a loss is so exciting to the mind that it often deprives men of sleep while they enjoy the most calm and quiet repose so long as their possessions are retained which proves that the pleasure does not move them so deeply they are kept awake by the vexation and chagrin on the one hand but they are never kept awake by the satisfaction on the other that is true replied the sacian men are not kept awake by the mere continuing to possess their wealth but they very often are by the original acquisition of it yes indeed replied ferales and if the enjoyment of being rich could always continue as great as that of first becoming so the rich would i admit be very happy men but it is not and cannot be so they who possess much must lose and expend and give much and this necessity brings more of pain than the possessions themselves can give of pleasure the sacian was not convinced the giving and expending he maintained would be to him in itself a source of pleasure he would like to have much for the very purpose of being able to expend much finally ferales proposed to the sacian since he seemed to think that riches would afford him so much pleasure and as he himself ferales found the possession of them only a source of trouble and care that he would convey all his wealth to the sacian he himself to receive only an ordinary maintenance from it you are in jest said the sacian no said ferales i am in earnest and he renewed his proposition and pressed the sacian urgently to accept of it the sacian then said that nothing could give him greater pleasure than such an arrangement he expressed great gratitude for so generous an offer and promised that if he received the property he would furnish ferales with most ample and abundant supplies for all his wants and would relieve him entirely of all responsibility and care he promised moreover to obtain from cyrus permission that ferales should thereafter be excused from the duties of military service and from all the toils privations and hardships of war so that he might thenceforth lead a life of quiet luxury and ease and thus live in the enjoyment of all the benefits which wealth could procure without its anxieties and cares the plan thus arranged was carried into effect ferales divested himself of his possessions conveying them all to the sacian both parties were extremely pleased with the operation of the scheme and they lived thus together for a long time whatever ferales acquired in any way he always brought to the sacian and the sacian by accepting it relieved ferales of all responsibility and care the sacian loved ferales as xenophon says in closing this narrative 
because he was thus continually bringing him gifts and pheraulus loved the sacian because he was always willing to take the gifts which were thus brought to him among the other conversations whether real or imaginary which xenophon records he gives some specimens of those which took place at festive entertainments in cyrus's tent on occasions when he invited his officers to dine with him he commenced the conversation on one of these occasions by inquiring of some of the officers present whether they did not think that the common soldiers were equal to the officers themselves in intelligence courage and military skill and in all the other substantial qualities of a good soldier i know not how that may be replied one of the officers how they will prove when they come into action with the enemy i cannot tell but a more perverse and churlish set of fellows in camp than these i have got in my regiment i never knew the other day for example when there had been a sacrifice the meat of the victims was sent around to be distributed to the soldiers in our regiment when the steward came in with the first distribution he began by me and so went round as far as what he had brought would go the next time he came he began at the other end the supply failed before he got to the place where he had left off before so that there was a man in the middle that did not get anything this man immediately broke out in loud and angry complaints and declared that there was no equality or fairness whatever in such a mode of division unless they began sometimes in the centre of the line upon this continued the officer i called to the discontented man and invited him to come and sit by me where he would have a better chance for a good share he did so it happened that at the next distribution that was made we were the last and he fancied that only the smallest pieces were left so he began to complain more than before oh misery said he that i should have to sit here be patient said i pretty soon they will begin the distribution with us and then you will have the best chance of all and so it proved for at the next distribution they began at us and the man took his share first but when the second and third men took theirs he fancied that their pieces looked larger than his and he reached forward and put his piece back into the basket intending to change it but the steward moved rapidly on and he did not get another so that he lost his distribution altogether he was then quite furious with rage and vexation cyrus and all the company laughed very heartily at these mischances of greediness and discontent and then other stories of a somewhat similar character were told by other guests one officer said that a few days previous he was drilling a part of his troops and he had before him on the plain what is called in military language a squad of men whom he was teaching to march when he gave the order to advance 
one who was at the head of the file marched forward with great alacrity but all the rest stood still i asked him continued the officer what he was doing marching said he as you ordered me to do it was not you alone that i ordered to march said i but all so i sent him back to his place and then gave the command again upon this they all advanced promiscuously and in disorder toward me each one acting for himself without regard to the others and leaving the file leader who ought to have been at the head altogether behind the file leader said keep back keep back upon this the men were offended and asked what they were to do about such contradictory orders one commands us to advance and another to keep back said they how are we to know which to obey cyrus and his guests were so much amused at the awkwardness of these recruits and the ridiculous predicament in which the officer was placed by it that the narrative of the speaker was here interrupted by universal and long-continued laughter finally continued the officer i sent the men all back to their places and explained to them that when a command was given they were not to obey it in confusion and unseemly haste but regularly and in order each one following the man who stood before him you must regulate your proceeding said i by the action of the file leader when he advances you must advance following him in a line and governing your movements in all respects by his just at this moment continued the officer a man came to me for a letter which was to go to persia and which i had left in my tent i directed the file leader to run to my tent and bring the letter to me he immediately set off and the rest obeying literally the directions which i had just been giving them all followed running behind him in a line like a troop of savages so that i had the whole squad of twenty men running in a body off the field to fetch a letter when the general hilarity which these recitals occasioned had a little subsided cyrus said he thought that they could not complain of the character of the soldiers whom they had to command for they were certainly according to these accounts sufficiently ready to obey the orders they received upon this a certain one of the guests who was present named agladidas a gloomy and austere-looking man who had not joined at all in the merriment which the conversation had caused asked cyrus if he believed those stories to be true why asked cyrus what do you think of them i think said agladidas that these officers invented them to make the company laugh it is evident that they were not telling the truth since they related the stories in such a vain and arrogant way arrogant said cyrus you ought not to call them arrogant for even if they invented their narrations it was not to gain any selfish ends of their own but only to amuse us 
and promote our enjoyment such persons should be called polite and agreeable rather than arrogant if agladitus said one of the officers who had related the anecdotes we had told you melancholy stories to make you gloomy and wretched you might have been justly displeased but you certainly ought not to complain of us for making you merry yes said agladitus i think i may to make a man laugh is a very insignificant and useless thing it is far better to make him weep such thoughts and such conversation as makes us serious thoughtful and sad and even moves us to tears are the most salutary and the best well replied the officer if you will take my advice you will lay out all your powers of inspiring gloom and melancholy and of bringing tears upon our enemies and bestow the mirth and laughter upon us there must be a prodigious deal of laughter in you for none ever comes out you neither use nor expend it yourself nor do you afford it to your friends then said agladitus why do you attempt to draw it from me this is preposterous said another of the company for one could more easily strike fire out of agladitus than get a laugh from him agladitus could not help smiling at this comparison upon which cyrus with an air of counterfeited gravity reproved the person who had spoken saying that he had corrupted the most sober man in the company by making him smile and that to disturb such gravity as that of agladitus was carrying the spirit of mirth and merriment altogether too far these specimens will suffice they serve to give a more distinct idea of the syrupedic of xenophon than any general description could afford the book is a drama of which the principal elements are such narratives as the story of panthea and such conversations as those contained in this chapter intermingled with long discussions on the principles of government and on the discipline and management of armies the principles and the sentiments which the work inculcates and explains are now of little value being no longer applicable to the affairs of mankind in the altered circumstances of the present day the book however retains its rank among men on account of a certain beautiful and simple magnificence characterizing the style and language in which it is written which however cannot be appreciated except by those who read the narrative in the original tongue End of chapter eleven